Hey everyone, welcome to Weird Flicks But Okay. In today's episode, we are going to discuss Steven Spielberg's 1975 film, Jaws. It paved the way for summer blockbusters, and in case you were not familiar with it, it is based on the idea that a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, and it's up to a local sheriff, marine biologist, and old seafarer to hunt the shark down. It stars Roy Scheider as Brody, the town police chief, Robert Shaw as Quint, the old seafarer, and Richard Dreyfus as Hooper, the marine biologist. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. <laughs> From the best-selling novel, Jaws. Maybe too intense for younger children. So Jaws came out in the summer of 1975, and it was kind of the introduction of the summer blockbuster. It was the first thing that made going to the movies basically an event. Yeah. Invented the, the tentpole movie of the summer, basically. Which is crazy that that hadn't really existed before this. Yeah, because I feel like that's not all that long ago. You would think something would exist before that. To make going to the movies an event. And you take for granted that there was a time where that wasn't the case. Because it's like, ever since we've been alive, the concept of like the big summer movies has always been a thing. So that's very strange to think about movies not having had that. It is. And I love summer blockbusters. I mean, they're not always like the greatest quality. They can be. Like Jaws is both a summer blockbuster and a great movie altogether. Yeah. But then you have things like, I mean, sorry to call it out, but like Transformers, for example, and it's pure just like a popcorn movie, and that is sort of the quintessential blockbuster kind of of recent years, I guess. But then you have, for example, like what Tenet is supposed to be. Or Inception before that. Yeah, a better example because that's already come out. But <laughs> Well, I mean, it's both the same thing. Yeah. If 2020 wasn't a dumpster fire, then... I think we would have seen that Tenet was that again, for yeah, sure. Yeah, another event. And what I think is interesting about kind of the first summer blockbuster is the fact that it is a horror movie, kind yeah. of. Horror adventure? What would horror you adventure. Yeah. Yeah, which I think used to be a much more popular crossover genre than it is now. We don't see it as much these days. That's fair. I do think that... Jaws also inspired Alien. Like, Alien was marketed as Jaws in space. Yes. So they seem to kind of follow suit with the whole... It's like a new breed of monster movie. Yeah. Totally. Also, it was rated PG. Which is crazy. Which is so crazy. <laughs> a child dies, which is, I feel like... 
taboo, not taboo, but it's a shocking thing whenever that happens in a movie. It's almost like this thing that people don't like to touch that often. Yeah. Is the brutal murder of a young child. And Jaws does that and just throws a PG rating on it. Yeah. Horrifying. And we see limbs and shark attacks and shark killings. and Right. You see the blood. You don't. It's not off camera and it's not just an implied gruesome murder. You see it. There is violence. Yes. And the first act of violence by a shark that we see in this movie is in the opening scene, which sets the tone for the whole movie and is absolutely one of the best scenes in it. So great opener. So good. So good. I was reminded immediately how good Steven Spielberg is. He's... This is very early in his career as, like, a feature film director. Yeah, it was one of his, basically his breakout film. He did The the Duel before this, which I haven't seen, and I am ashamed to say. I think that was his first movie, and I've heard it's fun and cool and shows a lot of promise, but it is amazing that this movie was so early in his career and already has so many of, like, the classic Spielberg uh, styles, stylistic choices in it. And it's so good. He's just so good. The way he tells stories visually is, I think, it's so good that at this point, I almost feel like that's just the way film looks. Like, the school of learning how to make a film comes from Steven Spielberg, almost. It's It's crazy. Oh, yeah. He's an absolute legend at this point. Uh, But this was probably, other than the movie that you mentioned, his biggest breakout film to begin with. And the way he directs interaction between characters is so great, too. Yeah. The building of suspense in this movie is amazing. Starting out with that first scene, it's just so quiet. And you have the young woman who's skinny dipping. And we keep getting shots from, like, underwater. Yeah. So you get an implied something is watching her or that she's being stalked, but she is completely oblivious to that whatsoever. I mean, why wouldn't she be there in a small New England seaside town? Yeah. Not that sharks can't exist there, because they absolutely do. And I think that recently we have seen that as well. In <laughs> Yeah, we've seen, like, an uptick in shark attacks, great white sightings off the coast of Maine, so... Yeah, so it's always a possibility. It's just not quite as common. So I, she's a very unsuspecting victim. It's sunrise, so she's out there by herself, except for the one guy that's passed out drunk on the beach. And this is when we first hear that Jaws theme. Yep. The uh, two notes of doom. Which is genius by John Williams, by the way, who is also another legend in the film industry. One of the greatest composers, easily. Yes. A modern-day Beethoven. <laughs> he's, he's incredible. Uh, and yeah, just those two notes build all the suspense you so need. So much tension. So much tension. And we see the young woman get taken down by the shark. But you don't see the shark, which is another really great way that this movie builds suspense and tension, is you don't see the threat. Yeah, at least not in its entirety. And it keeps sort of revealing more of itself as time goes on. And that's a brilliant way to mount the tension without... You never, like, show your hand, you know? With a horror movie, you never show your hand. 
And it was the same thing in Alien in, in a large way. Like you said, one really feeds off the other. I think that Alien took so much of the the pacing of the tension and the way the film is edited and paced together, the way that the horror mounts. It's very similar. And that's why these films are so important for films after them, because they're mimicking all the things that were so successful. So films like Jaws really pave the way for a new way to film movies. Also, uh, not showing the threat, the shark, the monster, whatever, as often has the added benefit of not being able to see a terrible mechanical shark. True. The mechanical shark in this film was... Gave them a lot of problems during production. I know I've read that over and over and over. So it's probably best, like, the less that we see it, the better. And I'm sure that was almost by accident. They probably planned on showing it more often, but they had so many problems with it that they couldn't. Yeah. Uh, And towards the end, like you were saying, you start seeing more and more of the shark. And towards the end, we see a lot more of the shark. And there is a time or two where you see it and it does to me anyway, look like a mechanical shark, which is okay. It's okay. I mean, at the end of the day, I still think this is an amazing movie. I Yeah, I don't feel taken out of it. I'm still very enveloped in whatever's going on. So it's a real testament to the quality of the film overall that we can see reveal like an imperfect animatronic shark and not feel like it's been ruined not not laugh you know like and i mean you can it doesn't mean that the movie's bad like there are things that are laugh worthy i think in this movie but it's not it's definitely good enough that i was thinking about it being a giant shark the whole time even though i could see that it wasn't real the movie never makes a joke out of itself right Jaws was so important for so many reasons, one being Spielberg's kind of debut success, uh, the introduction of the summer blockbuster, paving the way for films like Alien and movies similar to that. But it also had such an impact on the viewers. Like when it came out, people did not want to go to the beach. Like it scared the shit out of people. Yeah. I love that. I don't feel like I heard about any movie more as far as causing real-world panic or just general phobia or, or you know, than, than this movie. Like, growing up, I just kept hearing, that movie was why I don't go in the ocean. Or, right, like, our, people our parents' age, whenever Jaws comes up, they'll say, oh, man, I was so afraid to go in the ocean after that movie. Every time. Every time. That's, that's an amazing impact. Like, that's so cool. I, I love that. It is an amazing impact, and I think one of the reasons it has that impact, too, is because it's more of a realistic threat. Yeah. I mean, it's totally realistic. Yeah. I mean, not to say that sharks go on killing sprees quite like this, where they are literally... It almost seems like this shark is consciously, like, hunting humans and has, like, a grudge. You know, not to say that sharks are actually that way, but this could happen to anyone. Yeah, there, there's a, there's like a Moby Dick, white whale-esque vibe to the shark. Especially between the shark and um, Quint, I think is his name. The 
the fishermen. Right. Like, they they both have an axe to grind with each other. Yeah. And you learn kind of why that character feels that way. But as far as sort of an anthropomorphized shark that has a vendetta against a human being, it's interesting because I feel like it doesn't have to for the movie to still be realistic or at least semi-realistic, but it also makes it feel like in the shoes of these characters, you might feel like the shark's out to get you. And it might, the shark might feel like a villain in your own story, as opposed to just a consequence of nature taking its toll on you or whatever. So, absolutely. We're seeing it from the perspective of the, the scared town and uh, these three men specifically who hunt the shark. So, it would feel that way. I'd like to see this movie from the shark's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Like It'd be a, kind of a boring movie. Yes, shark movie. <laughs> I'm hungry. There's a person. Yeah. I'm going to eat it. That's pretty much how that movie would go. Well, they made a Jaws video game. Which they did? kind of, it, you play as the shark. So. Oh. Kind of interesting. It's basically what that would be. And it looks fun. You know, it's very simple. Yeah, that's funny. people, but fun. Yeah. So I feel like this movie is almost... Like, it's in two parts. The first half is kind of investigating the shark, and we slowly see people get killed or attacked. And then the second half is hunting the shark. Yes. We have a few deaths in the first half leading up to kind of the panic of the town. There's the swimmer, the woman that goes skinny dipping or whatever. The young kid. Yeah, there's a child that is eaten and also a fisherman that he finds the remains of yeah are those the only three that we know of well we see a guy get his leg bitten off i don't know if he died or not but he definitely gets attacked he definitely gets attacked there are other attacks that happen and then it sort of culminates on the fourth of july when the obstinate mayor decides to not shut down the beaches in the wake of sort of a rash of shark attacks. He's being told by experts that there's like a gigantic manhunting great white shark in the reef near his, near this town. I think it's Amity, the name of the town. But the mayor doesn't want the economy to suffer of the town. They rely so much on their tourism. So he doesn't do anything. He says that they killed the shark because they did, they caught a tiger shark. But Richard Dreyfus's character tells him that that probably was not the shark because its mouth isn't big enough for the bite marks that they saw. So he lets the people go in the water and, uh, weird, they get attacked by a giant shark. And this is, this is when the child dies, right? I believe. This is when the child dies. It's also when the other guy gets attacked. Basically, I think a, a few people get attacked, at least, by the shark. So this is when the child is killed, another man is attacked, and his leg bitten off. There are a few different attacks around the 4th of July, basically saying, hey, staying open on the 4th of July was a terrible idea. And this is where it kind of reaches that point. Um, once that child dies... Specifically, the mother offers a $3,000 reward for whoever catches and kills the shark. 
And this is where we start to transition into hunting the shark itself. And also it has that scene with the scratching on the chalkboard. Yeah, yeah. Another classic Fisherman Quint scene or whatever. He he draws everyone's attention with a terrible scratching because everyone's there's all this infighting about what to do about this shark. And then this salty old sailor dude basically just says, I'll get your shark, but for $10,000. Everyone, I think, knows that he's like a crazy local alcoholic, probably not the most reliable person, but they also know he's a real fisherman. So Right. He speaks with such confidence and knowledge about the shark. Yeah. I would hire him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he looks rugged. Yeah. He looks like he's seen a shark. And then we also have the marine biologist who clashes with Quint quite a bit. From my understanding, the actors also clashed on set, so I mm. guess it wasn't super hard for that kind of chemistry. Those two, along with Brody, the chief of police, are the ones who ultimately end up going out to hunt the shark. Oh, yeah. Leading up to this moment, also, we get a great... Um classic classic shot in this movie of leading up to this moment we also get one of the most iconic dolly zooms i think in cinema history where we the chief of police notices that someone something is happening in the water and the camera does this great dolly zoom on him as he sort of notices the, the the panic rises in that moment so much as it's like it's this great camera effect that makes us feel like we're in his emotional state where it's like everything's turning into tunnel vision all he can see is what is happening directly in front of him and it's turning into like utter panic inside his mind as he's freaking out and starting to think this has got to be the shark that he, you know he knows about at this point. The dolly shot is sort of caught. We see it all the time in in movies, and it always is a very impactful sort of effect. I think Hitchcock used it. I'm pretty sure it's been around for a very long time, but the one in Jaws I feel like solidified it as a technique for like modern audiences. And the other one that I think of a lot is in Lord of the Rings when the ring wraiths first come. It's like another oh, yeah. classic dolly shot. Uh, another thing that I think is important to mention is we get a real glimpse of Spielberg's way that he films dialogue interaction between people. He basically never just does like a looking at this person talking or looking at this person talking and switching back and forth between camera angles, or he he never really just does like a shot looking directly at two people talking, or if he does, it's very rarely. He so often has tons of people talking over each other, and this very naturalistic sort of flow to dialogue, and he also, it seems like he almost invented sort of a precursor to like the walk and talk where 
the camera's on the, the shot, but you're not necessarily following it as like a traditional camera shot. You're it's people talking in shot in the frame and they're like off to the side and maybe there's someone talking over them in the foreground and both conversations can be important. So it's a very interesting way to film dialogue. And I've always loved that about him. It's this very cool sort of understated way to film dialogue. I agree. I think one of the things that he does really well is the way he films character interactions, even just the most simple conversations like around a dinner table or on the boat around, again, around a table, just a few guys having drinks or whatever. But I think old films used to do very PC dialogue. Everything was so deliberate and that has its own charm too, but it makes me also appreciate this naturalistic approach where, like you said, you do have people kind of talking over each other sometimes and like a sentence will run into somebody else's sentence and it's sometimes it's awkward it's so much more realistic yeah just organic the way people really talk it's not like Aaron Sorkin where everyone's just saying the wittiest funniest thing every time and like everyone's in perfect rhythm with everyone else and it's and they're speaking fast yeah and they're and they're way too eloquent it's you know people don't talk like that so Definitely, like you said, that has its place. I think beautiful writing is beautiful writing, and it still is great when you hear great dialogue, no matter how detached from reality it is. But Spielberg has this very different, it's like the polar opposite of that. Everything is just so natural and organic and feels imperfect, even though it was probably super rehearsed to make it seem that natural which is like more impressive um it's just crazy and filmmaking doesn't have to be realistic but sometimes there's a certain amount of appreciation you can have for when they pull it off like that yeah for sure so we have these three characters and they all set out on this mission to kill the great white shark None of them really get along all that well. I mean, Brody gets along okay with the marine biologist. Quint is honestly not a very social creature anyway. So you have just these three guys thrown together with this common purpose. And it's interesting watching them interact too when they're on the boat sort of waiting to find the shark. They haven't found the shark yet. And this is where we have that great moment from Quint with his story. Yeah, Quint's story about his time served on the USS Indianapolis, which it's, it seems to be implied that Brody's never heard of that, but that Cooper has heard of that, because as soon as he says it, you can see Cooper's face change. And basically, it's a story that I, I actually looked it up, and it's at least based on reality of this ship that was in the Pacific during World War II. It was hit by a torpedo and went down, and there were a little over a thousand men aboard that were just floating in the ocean for days because their mission was secret and no one knew they were there. And basically, it's the largest recorded case of shark attacks on human beings ever. And in the movie, at least... He's telling it from the first-hand perspective, which 
adds so much drama and horror to it to think about being there in real time. He talks about someone he grew up with from like Cleveland and he flips over his body and, and he's been eaten in half. Uh, you know, he's missing his bottom half. He thought he was sleeping and how the men would get up in these structured columns in the water so that they could like, you know, collectively defend themselves against the sharks because sharks started coming in in abundance. But by the time they were picked up, he made it sound like the sharks had maybe eaten like 600 men or something. Like they lost a hundred, he said the first night. And he says like that average is six an hour, which is just insane to think about. That's like a real life horror movie. That's like scarier than Jaws. Yeah, that's like actually scarier than Jaws, which I think is interesting because you would think, why wouldn't they tell that story? But I think that it actually lends itself to this story that it's not the scariest, the biggest. There's this very sort of sleepy tourist little town that I think you and I can both identify with because we live in Portland and, you know, there's people, our tourism season is like a huge part of our economy, but we're, it's a coastal town and it's pretty sleepy other parts of the year. And we visit a lot of places locally that are like that. So there's this vibe that like everything is just sort of quaint and quiet and nice and placid. And then the shark disrupts the entire community, uh, this one creature. And the more you get closer to the shark and the more they talk to Quint and talk about his experience, he goes on this like awesome monologue about sharks have dead eyes and, you know, it's, it's like they're these primordial evil monsters and not just animals. And I think that that's so compelling because it's like the further you get from like the cheery little suburbs the more like ancient horror vibes you're getting. And it's like the, the paths are crossing every time you get closer to the shark. It's hard to describe, but I feel like that's such an important part of why this movie is so successful. And if you were doing a, a movie about the Indianapolis, not that it wouldn't be good necessarily, but it's just like, that's on 10, like the whole time, like that would be so extreme. And this is great because it's like every time the shark comes in, it's breaking that calm and that pleasantness that everyone feels really powerful. Right. And Quint coming into the picture breaks up that small town vibe too and brings more of that like rugged, completely the opposite of cute, small, peaceful town yeah. element into the story. And this particular monologue gives you insight into why he is kind of the way that he is. Also, the actor, I guess he insisted on trying to do this scene drunk because they are drinking in the scene. So in real life, he got drunk and did the monologue. And I guess it was terrible. So the method acting <laughs> there wasn't great. So he came back and did it sober for the actual scene that we see in the movie. Well, that's too bad. At least they tried it. At least they tried it. It's a good idea in theory. Yeah. So like, what about their method of killing the shark? So essentially, they are shooting the shark they have barrels tied to har the harpoons. I don't know. What are they? It's harpoons that are tied by rope to, like, air canisters. Right. And their idea is to slow the shark down, but they come to find out 
one is definitely not enough. Two isn't really enough. Three is like getting there. But somehow not enough. Like Quince, I think a little horrified that three is not enough. The shark is bigger than anything he's ever seen. Pretty much. And the first time we kind of see how big the shark is, that's when we get that famous quote, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. When it emerges somewhat from the water to eat the chum because they're leaving like a trail to lure the shark towards them. And yeah, that that great scene where it takes him sort of forever to finally say, you're going to need a bigger boat. He just walks slowly for like 30 seconds backwards from the the shark. Literally horrified. Yeah, just, just shook. And none of this is really going how they want it to go. Right. The barrels aren't really slowing it down. However, they are providing a way to keep an eye on where the shark is. So it's helping with that. But it takes a lot of shooting and eventually explosion to actually kill it. Yeah, yeah, they blow that shark right up. But not before it eats Quint. And nearly kills Hooper as Yes. Well. That's the part where I was talking about earlier where you can kind of tell that it's mechanical shark. I think we see more of the shark than we've seen in the rest of the movie. In this part, it's like half up on the deck and it's tearing at Quint's body, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still horrific. Like, oh, it's still horrific. It doesn't really take me out of the scene at all. You have to be, like, wanting to look for it, I think. Yeah, I think you want to be having a bad time if if in this scene you're like, oh, shark's fake. Like, that's not that's not good. Because what, what it looks like if you're immersed is a gigantic 25-foot-long shark with its teeth sunk into the belly of this guy, and he's fighting back and trying not to die, but he's clearly a goner. Like, there's no surviving that. I'm going to be honest. Real sharks look kind of like mechanical sharks anyway. They do. They look fake. They swim around with their plasticky-looking bodies and their mouths open. <laughs> like a bunch of doofuses. <laughs> yes. Uh, also, another thing worth mentioning, too, is how they shot this on the open ocean. They didn't shoot it in, like, a Hollywood tank or anything like that. And it's one of the, I think, one of the first movies to ever do that, if not the first, like, big movie to do that. It's an ambitious plan. I think that Steven Spielberg being so kind of new, that's why he did that. He wasn't thinking about doing it in a Hollywood, you know, tank somewhere. He yeah. thought this takes place on the ocean. I'm going to shoot it in the ocean, which is great. I'm sure it provided a lot of issues, but yeah. I think they also shot it in relatively shallow, like 35-ish feet shallow ocean in case anything went wrong with the mechanical shark, which cost more than like half the budget of this movie. I believe it. The shark is, is crazy. Like if you're thinking about the 70s, you're thinking about what was an option for animatronics at the time. As much as the shark maybe was an imperfect prop, I still think that it sold it so well, especially when you're like seeing it in the water from the boat when you see when you're seeing it mostly submerged that looks like a real shark when you're seeing it through water yes i agree it's i mean i would i wouldn't know i wouldn't have known that that wasn't and i don't really have a good impression of like how fast sharks are when they're that big you know we get the impression that small fish are faster and, and big fish are slower so 
there's definitely it just feels like it has the proper weight and scale and it feels like they definitely cut in shots of real sharks doing things at times or yeah. something. Yeah. Sharks are crazy. They're like acrobats. Do you ever watch Shark Week? I've seen it. Have I, you mean, I seen, love sharks. Have you seen Air Jaws? I haven't seen Air Jaws. They fly into the air. Imagine yeah. if this movie incorporated some acrobatic shark activity. You're talking about a Sharknado right now? No, like real life <laughs> sharks. No, I believe you. Sharks are incredible, and they're one of the most ancient living things on this planet as far as sort of an unshifted evolutionary design. I think that's what makes sharks such a compel. Like, it's it would be hard to make a movie like this about almost any other animal on the planet. And we've gotten a lot of movies about, like, a rogue animal that is killing people. Anaconda and... What there's some about like bears, I think, and there's a, you know, the gray stuff like that. There's there's all these movies about ooh the gray. I hate pack animals. Yeah, they're they're smart, terrifying, and, and they and they want to eat you. And there's a lot of them. And there's a lot of them. Clever girl and all that. Velociraptors. Oh, raptors. Jurassic Park. Another Spielberg total classic. If there is a perfect double feature for a drive-in, it would be Jaws and Jurassic Park. Yeah, agree. Spielberg is killing it. Spielberg at his finest twice in a row. Oh, yeah. So they finally blow up the shark, and we just have Hooper and Brody left. Without a boat. Without a boat. And honestly, this this ending where they're killing the shark goes on for, like, a long time. Oh, yeah. Like, a really long time. Yeah. It's a big deal. It's like the third act of the movie is the attempt to kill the shark, basically. So they finally kill the shark. Their boat's a goner. They're floating on something. Life jackets or... Yeah. And one of them is just like, let's paddle back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What day is it? I think one of them asks. Yeah. It's really something. Not an anticlimactic ending whatsoever. No. No. But do they know that there's also more sharks in the ocean? Well, yes. But I feel like maybe they, they think they've dealt with the biggest one, so they're set. Which is a little silly, because, like, they're in the water, essentially, with a ton of, like, blood and meat now. Exactly. And chum. sharks all kinds of excited about eating. So, a little reckless. <laughs> but what choice do they have? Yeah. This movie has a lot of, like, iconic and classic moments and a lot of good quotes. Uh, you're gonna need a bigger boat. That's, like, the Jaws quote. And then at the end, right before he blows up the shark... Smile, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Before he blasts the air tank in the uh, shark's mouth and blows it's, it up. It's so cheesy. It's like that quintessential, like, in an action movie or a movie like this or a horror movie, that final line by the main character right before they... Yeah, it's like, screw you, Bennett. Like, any one of, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's... <laughs> classic yeah that's or whatever. that's one of the first things i thought of too and then in the beginning there's a weird quote too uh if you've ever watched the show house at the end of the show there's a product little production thing and it says that's some bad hat harry from bad hat harry productions anyways that's from a scene in jaws a completely like random Almost throwaway scene. It's like so... Such a throwaway scene. And such like a weird wording telling someone their hat sucks. 
<laughs> yep. It's just like a weird. It's just a weird moment. Moment, which is why I like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you've ever seen that and you're like, what's that from? That's what that's from. That could be a trivia question someday when you're at a bar. And so you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome, guys. I do think that the we talked about John Williams scoring this movie and how genius it is. I think the main theme is absolutely incredible. But something that's really interesting about the score is that I think it's actually quite whimsical at times. There are times where they're out at sea and like really bad things have already happened, but it still has this vibe of like it's kind of just fun. It's like swashbuckling sort of adventure time. And I think that that's so... We, it seems so weird now. I don't know if it would have at the time. I don't know if anyone else would think that that was like an incongruous choice, but it felt very strange because the movie is so horrific and then it just becomes sort of like lighthearted. Oh, we're just at sea. We're doing our thing. Oh, we're not getting along, but it's, it's just funny how we all kind of argue a little bit. And yeah, like the first half of the movie, I know how I was saying it was suspenseful and um, more investigative and that's where you feel more of the horror aspect i feel like once they're out on the boat and they're doing like you said like the swashbuckling kind of routine yeah that's when it feels more adventure yeah and you also get the vibe i think that at least this is a this is sort of a feeling that i get sometimes is that quint seems kind of insane or like half crazed and I sometimes wonder if people are like that as sort of, you know, they're like that as a consequence of trauma or something else. Right. It's like the closer they get to the shark, the more of this crazed persona is coming out of him. Yeah. And at times that that appears very jovial and very sort of fun in the face of danger. And I think that is really interesting because I think that's definitely how people sort of cope with trauma a lot of the time. They become people like that uh, as maybe a form of emotional avoidance or something. But the I almost feel like the movie is projecting that same feeling whenever it has that swashbuckly fun sort of going on an adventure score. And then it breaks into horror again when there's no avoiding it. There's another great scene, a great use of music by John Williams where the fisherman's pole like the fishing line first starts dipping like the it's being pulled on and he very slowly like hooks himself into the chair puts the fishing rod like into the brace and all this stuff the tension of that scene as he's preparing to fight this shark is so well done the way it mounts up you don't know what's going to happen you know the shark is like incredibly dangerous, but you don't know its full potential until it keeps sort of raising the stakes. But this this seems like literally the beginning of the stakes starting to climb, and I think it's so well done. All right, guys, so that is Jaws. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode. Uh, you can check us out on social media and as always, our email is weirdflixbutokpodcast at gmail.com. I have nothing else to say about Jaws. Okay. <laughs>